being hurt in ministry. Ministry is hard, messy, and difficult. All this and more on Youth and Culture. Today is episode number nine. Again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to listening and making this a part of your day. Uh, and I'm really excited about uh, who I want to be. T- we're going to be talking to today. I'm going to be talking to uh, David Pinkham. David is a great friend of mine. Uh, we've been friend for many years. I just want to talk to him about a, a situation that he went through a little over a year ago. And I, I the church he was at, and I think it's an it's an issue that a lot of us go through in ministry, or even whether it's full time, part time, even at a volunteer basis, and that's being hurt while doing ministry. Uh, so we kind of talked about his situation and what he went through and how he overcome it, what he learned from that situation. So tune in as we talked to David Pinkham. I have a great opportunity and privilege to be talking to uh, one of my good friends. Uh, we were both served at, at a church in Virginia. For, we were both in seminary, uh, serving in the same youth group uh, for, for a few years, and also have been uh, keeping in touch, doing things together, and, and, and just uh, talk, kind of reaching out to each other for the past few years. So I'm really excited to be talking to him. He, and is um, today, and yeah, we're going to be talking about a subject. I would say that it, that a lot of us have gone through, whether you're in ministry or not in the ministry, or just serving or being in a church. Uh, period is is being hurt uh, in ministry. Uh, so I have a great privilege to be talking to David uh, Pinkham. Uh, today, so David, I, I, um, for the, of course we know each other very well. But for those who are listening who don't know who you are, how, how about you introduce yourself a little bit, talk about your journey in youth ministry and where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's a it's an honor and a privilege to be here, Ryan, and I really appreciate you uh, thinking of me as you have uh, gotten this podcast off the ground. Um, <clears throat> I'm a missionary kid. I uh, was born and raised in the church, and um, I wanted to be a high school band director when I was in high school. I was a huge band nerd. Um, but my youth pastor and my grandma both used to tell me, you're going to be a pastor someday. And I would just look at them and laugh. And I was like, you guys don't understand. Like, I don't fit qualifications. And um, my youth pastor would say, that doesn't matter. God's going to work in your life. You're going to be a youth pastor. And so I'd throw objections at him and I'd say, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't memorize scripture. I can't talk in front of people. I'm angry all the time. He said, David, God's going to work in you to take care of those problems if you would just obey. And two weeks before college started, I had that aha moment 
that I was going to go into the ministry. And so I said, Lord, I, I will do it. I will follow you. I have no idea where you're going, but I'll do it. So um, for the first like two and a half years, three years of college, I, I worked the pastoral ministry track. And at the end of my junior year, I did some evaluation, some praying, some thinking, some talking with uh, older, wiser men than I, and realized that the Lord had been pushing me towards youth ministry. So I changed my major from pastoral leadership to youth ministry and took every youth ministry class they had my senior year, and I still managed to graduate somehow. Um, And right as I was finishing up college, I was um, involved in the church in Virginia that you and I worked together at, and I met my wife. Uh, at that church. She was also a youth leader. Great place to find a wife. I would <laughs> and, agree. Um, and yeah, and for several years, uh, we were youth leaders. I think we were both small group leaders, and then we both became um, administrators in different rooms. And the youth pastor took us both under his wing and really invested in us, gave us both teaching opportunities. Um, and then I think both of us actually we're starting to look for youth pastor, full-time youth pastor jobs at the same time. Uh, I actually think you had a leg up on me because you started putting out feelers way before I did. Um, yeah, I was a little more anxious to <laughs> get out of working full-time in a secular job. Well, not a really secular job, but yeah, well, not doing yeah. what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I totally get that. And so I think um, you found your, your position um, – I don't remember what the timing was, but I I finally got my first full-time ministry position in June of 2014. And I was at that church for three and a half years. And then I transitioned from that church to my current church back in November of 2017. And I've been here ever since. So that's kind of everything. And I'm sure I skipped something, but that's basically what it is in a nutshell. Yeah, so, um, and again, you know, like I said at the beginning, kind of what we wanted to talk about, and the reason I want to have David on board is kind of talk about being hurt in ministry. And the reason being uh, that we have David, because David went through uh, this during a church that he was serving at. And I kind of want him to kind of share his, his experience uh, with that, uh, kind of what he went through. So, uh, David, how, how how about you talk a little bit about, uh, before we enter that, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about what was the first, uh, when you first started ministry, what did you wish you had known when you first started out? Yeah, um, this is, uh, honestly, I think this is a question that every veteran youth pastor needs to answer. Uh, I would not consider myself a veteran yet. I've been in full-time ministry for basically less than five years. Uh, even though I started working with youth when I was 20, and I'm 31 now, um, that that does not qualify me as a veteran in youth ministry. However, um, I do know that I had some very specific ideas about what ministry looked like when I left college. And I had some very, um, I, I guess you could say, idealistic viewpoints. And uh, what I didn't realize right up until college was over was that I was legalistic. And uh, my wife actually helped me figure that out. And so one of the things that I entered ministry thinking was, I'm going to be at this church and I'm going to stay at this church forever because longevity in ministry is crucial. And the funny thing is, like, that, that is a true statement. Like, longevity in ministry is crucial. 
Um, I think the stat that I've, the, the latest one I've heard was that uh, the average senior pastor is at a church for like four years, but it takes an average of five years for real fruit to start showing for a senior pastor, forget youth pastors. Um, but that, like that one thing that I, I was actually kind of, it's actually slipped out of my mouth now, uh, was that I wish I could go back to those freshman youth ministry 201 students, sit down in front of them at the end of the semester and say, I don't care what your idealistic notions are. I don't care how stubborn you think you are. I don't care how godly you think you are. More than likely, barring a move of the Holy Spirit, you will have a first church, which means you will have a second church which means you are not going to sit and plop down at one church forever. It's going to, it's, there's going to be change. You're going to grow. You're going to get to a church that you think you're ready for. And you're going to realize, Oh, I was not ready for this. <laughs> um, I, this might come up later while we're talking, but um, I don't know if I've told you this, Ryan, but the church I'm at now, that church popped up on my radar four times before I finally said, okay, Lord, I'll pay attention. So I, that's kind of the, the one thing I wish people would know is that you, if you're going to go to full-time ministry as a youth pastor, you're going to have a first church. Um, I mean, unless the Lord moves. And uh, the other thing is ask a lot of questions before saying yes to a church. A lot of questions. Oh, oh yeah, I agree. We, we talked about that a little bit after, after uh, your situation with one church. Yeah. Yeah, that that's one of those things. And I think sometimes it's even like not just a lot of questions, but ask the same question a bunch of times in different ways. Uh, it's kind of like when you take those personality surveys and they ask you the same question, but three different ways, just to see if you'll answer three different ways so that they can actually find out who you really are. Um, it's kind of something like that. But um, yeah, I, that's really the big thing is you're going to have a first church and, and that's okay. It's okay. It, it's not some catastrophic thing. Uh, your life isn't over. God's not done with you. But there's a good chance you're, ju- you're just going to have a first church. Yeah, I, I, I would have to say that I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And part, I think part of that is when you're gra- when you're graduating outside, when you graduate from seminary, Bible college, whatever it is, and, you, and pretty much on average, you're going to get in a, in a smaller church, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with smaller church. That's the context that you're in. It's the context that I'm in. Um, but sometimes a smaller, a small church is small for a reason. Uh, and in a sense that uh, bad leadership and, or a family run church and, and, and multiple different, different things can, can cause that. Uh, but sometimes when you when you when you're fresh out of college seminary, you're excited, go get a ministry. Sometimes you neglect asking good questions and forgetting that you also need to interview the church you're applying to at the same time they're interviewing you because um, you don't yeah. know what kind of situation you're getting into. Yeah, the church I was at, uh, the first one, the one I was at for three and a half years, um, pretty much as soon as I got to the city. I I hooked up with a, a bunch of other youth pastors, and I um, I guess you could say I, ch- I chummed the water for a, a senior level youth pastor, someone who was a veteran. And I found a guy in that area. He had been in youth ministry for thirty years. 
And so I just went up to him and I said, hey, um, I'm a brand new youth pastor. I was At this church, I was actually technically the um, youth and children's pastor because both of them were both pretty small. And um, But I found this youth pastor. And I said, hey, um, I'm brand new. I'm still wet behind the ears. Uh, would you be willing to meet with me every once in a while to just let me bounce things off of you and, and ask you questions? And he said, well, um, I don't want it to be formal and I got to eat. So you want to just meet for lunch on Wednesday? And I said, sure. And for the next three and a half years, almost every week, we had lunch together for like an hour or two and just talked shop. And it went from a discipleship relationship to a mentorship to a friendship. And that's one of those things that I learned from him when I came to my current church was when I sat down to interview with the personnel team, they interviewed me and then I interviewed them. And from the get-go, I said, look, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to let you know everything you want to know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I want you to make a very clear and educated decision. But I'm also going to ask that of you as well. And they said, sure, yeah, sounds good. And that was after I had had a three-hour conversation at Olive Garden with the senior pastor a few weeks earlier, and I had told him the same thing. And the, the frankness there, the, the openness and the honesty on the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, really helped me prepare myself for this new church so that when they did call me and I talked to my wife and I prayed about things and I brought things to my mentor and whatnot, um, there was a much bigger piece about it than the first church. Well, yeah. So, uh, one, one so we kind of kind of talked about a little bit, but how, uh, kind of share a little bit about uh, what you went through with the previous church. I, 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 I know this is something that I, I, I personally have heard a lot of uh, youth pastors, senior pastors going through the same type of situations that you went through, even people volunteering, uh, volunteering after the same type of stuff. Uh, but kind of, can you share a little bit about the experience and what you went through at your previous church? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's an important discussion to have. I do want to preface um, what I share with a couple of things, and it's because I think that this discussion uh, specifically about going through um, pain in ministry um, is that it needs to be done respectfully. And I want to make sure that your listeners understand that um, I look at the senior pastor of this church and what I saw was a shepherd. Um, I saw a man who loved the word of God deeply and a man who loved his congregation deeply. Um, what I struggled with was I felt as if there was um, a lack of communication between us. And there seemed to be, in my perspective, a very big lack of administrative um, work done on his part. And so even though he was the chief under shepherd of the church, the de facto leader, the one that the Lord had called there, um, I think that there were certain skills that were lacking or at least not practiced. And I think that that kind of hurt uh, my ability to do ministry. Now, you got to remember, I'm coming at this from never having been in full-time ministry. So um, there was a whole new set of concerns and problems on my shoulder now. Uh, when I got to the church, I had two kids and my wife was pregnant. 
And I didn't realize this at first, but as I got into the church and started doing the work, and then when problems started coming, I started realizing I'm starting to worry more about losing my job and screwing up and my family being homeless than I am about honoring the Lord and doing the work he's called me to do, come what may. Having said that, um, I do think that um, unintentionally, the church did not exactly give me a clear picture of where they were as far as the health of the church during the interview process. Um, they put their best foot forward. And um, it's kind of funny because that's kind of what you do on a first date with a girl. As you put your best foot forward, you put your best behavior on display. You do all things that are right because you're trying to woo the girl. And I think sometimes churches and, and potential youth pastors or potential pastors, they do the same thing. We put our best foot forward. And so I put my best foot forward and they put their best foot forward. And that that didn't help. Um, we basically, uh, we were both deceiving one another. And it wasn't like we were lying to each other on purpose. It's just that we were saying, this is my best qualities. And they were saying, these are our best qualities. And because we did not um, bring up our less than best qualities, we didn't realize that ultimately this was never going to work out. Um, and I can tell you, and I should have seen this coming, and this is why you listen to your wives, dude. Um, uh, I, sh <laughs> yeah, can we just pause? We could talk a whole, like for a whole two hours about that. Listen to your wife, especially oh, if you yes. married one whose spiritual gift is discernment and wisdom. We got to listen to the woman. Yeah. Um, this is also why you marry up. Yes. Oh, dude, I'm married so far out of my league. It should be illegal. Anyway, um, she she mentioned a couple of things during the interview process and when I came back and talked to her about things. And and one of the ones that she mentioned, it just kind of slipped over my head. She said, David, you've been called a youth ministry. They're asking for a youth and children's pastor. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, it doesn't seem like the responsibilities for the children's part is going to be that big of a deal. So um, I'll be able to focus mostly on youth ministry. Well, then reality sets in after you accept the job and realize they're thinking more like 50-50 when you were thinking more like 70-30. And um, I realized that, you know, I love my kids and I love other people's kids, but I am not cut out for children's ministry. It's just not in my wheelhouse. Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, now that I look back on it, should have told them, like, I'm not a children's pastor guy. I, I can't do that. My brain doesn't, I have a hard enough time using small words in the youth group, let alone children. Um, I, I was doing a lesson recently and I, I, I said the word ensemble to the students about someone's outfit. All right, who uses that word anymore to refer to an outfit? You call it an outfit. You don't call it an ensemble. And my kids are looking at me like, what does a band have to do with this? They're thinking like a wind ensemble and I'm talking about an outfit. Like it's not the 1950s. So anyway, um, so, I mean, things, you know, there's always a honeymoon period with a new church. So everybody loves you. You love everybody. Things are going great. People are giving you stuff. People are offering to help you out. Um, with Because my my wife was pregnant, um, they gave us a pounding. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's, it's I think oh, yeah. it's like a Southern Baptist thing. But um, when they give you a pounding. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a Baptist-y thing. It is, okay. Um, it, it basically, it's like a baby shower, but they give you a pound of stuff. So I got, we got like a pound of sugar and a pound of beans and a thing of diapers and like everything that we could give to get that was like consumable. It all came in a pound or more. So it was kind of like, you know, a little 
joke, but we, we felt very loved, to be honest with you, um, right off the bat, like we felt very loved. A lot of people helped us move into our house that we were renting um, from the worship director who, he was a great guy. I mean, he was, he was, he was a great guy, great landlord too. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the honeymoon stage and everything's going great. You know, the students are still, you know, they're definitely still feeling you out and, and seeing, you know, can I trust this guy? Um, but I pretty quickly was able to build a relationship with the students that were there. And the pastor did tell me, you're basically starting from square one. And, and he gave me the reasons why. Um, uh, but to be honest with you, um, one of the things I started noticing right off the bat was that I didn't see him a lot and I didn't talk to him a lot. And staff meetings were few and far between. Um, and as much as people like to moan and groan about how boring and stupid and pointless staff meetings are, and it's just another meeting could have been an email, um, staff meetings are important. Uh, staff meetings are where the senior pastor can cast vision. It's where he can do some spiritual leadership, a uh, time of devotion to rally the troops. Um, it doesn't have to just be calendaring and evaluation. It can be a time of inspiration through the word of God and the move of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, it's it's an opportunity to create unity among the leadership of the church. And we just hardly ever did it. And when we did do staff meeting, not everybody showed up. And there were only four of us that were supposed to show up. It was me, the senior pastor, the part-time education minister, um, family and education minister, and then the secretary. She only stayed until we were done with the calendar stuff. And then she left and, and it was the three of us. But um, you know, that was another thing. Like, I don't think that this just could be personal opinion. I don't think the education minister ever liked me. Um, and, I'm, you know, let's be honest. We're not there to be liked by everybody. But if they don't like you, you don't get along. And there's a lack of communication there. And so because of that lack of communication, um, there wasn't relationship building happening. And so that made doing ministry difficult. And right near the end, even though there was a couple of things that had the opportunity to bring the two of us closer together, um, there was a couple other things that happened that ripped us apart um, in a kind of a, he tried to tell me how to do my job kind of thing. And he, I think part of that was because before before me, there was another guy who was the youth pastor. And then before him, the guy that was now the education minister used to be the youth pastor. So I felt like there was a lot of him looking over at me doing ministry going, that's not how I used to do it. And I'm like, but you're not in charge anymore. So you need to let me do ministry the way I do it. Um, one of the other things that I felt... Uh, the longer we stayed was that there was a lack of respect there. And this is honestly, Ryan, this is something I've struggled with for a long time. And I don't know how you've ever struggled with this, but um, I've struggled with that balance between um, I have to be humble because I have to be a leader who is an example. However, because you are in a pastoral position, I think that like, for, I'll just use my current situation. I respect my senior pastor. I respect him because of who he is and his character, but I also respect his office. And um, I come at church leadership with an attitude of, he's the senior pastor, you afford him a certain amount of respect. If there's a disagreement that you have with the guy, if there's a problem, then you, you do it. Even if it's not sin, you approach it with the Matthew 18 principle. You go in private and you have a conversation respectfully with the guy. 
um, I never felt like I was, yeah, I never felt like I was respected at this church. Um, the senior pastor was, and maybe the part-time minister of education, they were, I think they were the only two that ever referred to me as Pastor David. Um, now, again, Dwayne Carson used to tell us this at Liberty. It's not about titles. It's about towels. You know, it's about serving the people around you, not about your, the, the, the letters behind your name. But um, there's a reason my parents had me refer to adults as Mr. Smith, Mrs. Jones, when I was a kid, instead of addressing an adult when I was a child by their first name. It's because you respect the people around you. And that shows them that you respect them, but it also kind of invites respect towards yourself. And so as I'm trying to be respectful of the people around me, I could tell that there was no respect coming my way. And I don't know if that had anything to do with me right off the bat, or if it had anything to do with the previous guy. And, and let's just be honest, you know, when you're at a church um, and you are following a previous youth pastor, if it ended badly for the previous guy, they're going to think things about you because their thought towards you has been tainted by the previous guy. Um, if things ended well, then they're just going to have unrealistic expectations of you because of the previous guy. There's no way around it. We can't avoid it. We just have to accept that reality. When we follow another guy in the same position, there's going to be some preconceived notions, whether good or bad, about who you are because of the last guy. And I think I was dealing with some of that. Um, that just a reality. And so that was one of the reasons I think I was never really respected at the church. Um, the other thing was that there was a few people that I think were trying to be manipulative the entire time. Um, one of them I can say for sure, because, uh, one of the volunteer positions at our church, the person had been doing it for 20 years and they, you know, they were tired, you know, doing it for 20 years, they were weary out. So they stepped down and the church rather quickly replaced them and with a new person and for lack of a better way of explaining it this this guy tried to take over the church um i was surprised i i knew he was a little manipulative but he went full scale lying at one point um like pen and paper ink lying not just like whispering rumors but he sent a six page letter to a bunch of the members of the church right before a business meeting and he accused the senior pastor of a whole bunch of stuff. He accused the part-time minister of a whole bunch of stuff. He accused me of a whole bunch of stuff. And he accused the person that was before him in that position of a whole bunch of stuff. And this was not just, they're doing something some way I don't like. This was things that I, I never felt like I built a solid relationship with the senior pastor, but I knew the guy well enough that some of the lies in this letter, I was like, no way, that's not true. No way. Um, there was some purchase stuff where we were accused of making certain purchases and we had to stand up in the middle of a business meeting and say, one is not true. And I told them I have a scanned photocopy of every receipt I've ever made a purchase on with my church card. And I have it on my computer. If you want to see it, I will show you. There is nothing true about what this guy has said. Um, Thankfully, the church didn't fall for it, and that guy is no longer at the church, and the senior pastor is still there, which is amazing because he's been there for like 27 years. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. But um, I think that that situation was one of the nails in the coffin that led to me eventually leaving the church. Um, back to the beginning with the whole thing that I was talking about, about how churches and candidates don't exactly tell each other the truth from the get-go. Um, 
as things started to get worse, I reached out to some other pastors in the area for advice on how to minister to this particular congregation. And the reason I reached out to these guys is because these guys used to attend this church and they were now pastors at other churches because this church had sent them from the church as pastors, which is an incredible legacy to have. And they told me that during the interview process, but what they didn't tell me was that that was 20 years ago. And I slowly realized within the last year that I was there that every time I would ask them a question about the history of the church or the way things were done, every time they told me a fond memory, kind of the golden age of things, the way that they used to be, it was all from when the pastor emeritus was the senior pastor. It was nothing within the last 25 years. And that's just, I mean, that's just what it was. This is not an interpretation. This is, I would ask them a question, they'd give me an answer, and I'd say, when was that? And they'd give me a time, and I'm like, yeah, that was over 25 years ago when the last senior pastor was here. And um, so I met with these other senior pastors in the in the valley, and, and I said, hey, you know, what can I do to learn to better minister to this congregation, help the youth group grow? And, and, and two of them specifically sat down and they said, look, David, um, this church has been dying for the last 20 years. I've been watching it. And I'm like, well, they didn't tell me. <laughs> you know, of course, of course, they're not going to tell. So I take this information to my my mentor, the guy who'd been a youth pastor for 30 years. And I said, look, I'm, I'm struggling here. You know, I've got these guys telling me the church is dying. I've got this church just telling me to grow the youth group. Like, what's going on? You know, give me some perspective here. Um, I'm a newbie. Uh, this is uncharted territory for me. And he said, David, I got to be honest. Um, a lot of times a dying church as a last ditch effort to save the church will bring in a young, energetic youth pastor to save the church. And when that doesn't work out, because that hardly ever works, they now have a scapegoat to blame. And so instead of the savior, you're now the scapegoat. And that's not like he said, I'm not saying that that's what they've done with you, but he said the evidence points in that direction. And I said, so what do I do? And he said, well, to be honest, update your resume and keep working. Uh, keep keep doing what you've been called to do, um, but update your resume and um, and give it to some people that you trust, uh, which I did not do. All right. I, you know, I try to be teachable. I try to be teachable, but at first I did not. Um, but I, I eventually got to the point where I had to. Um, there was a couple meetings I had with the personnel team where it got to a point where um, they basically gave me an ultimatum. They said, you need to grow the youth group um, by a certain date. And it, it was even with, um, like, I had to track what I was doing every day on a timesheet. And it wasn't just like punch in, punch out. This was like every, I had to, I had to record like every 15 or 30 minutes of time throughout the day what I was doing. Uh, I mean, there was, it was micromanagement and, and so I did, um, you know, cause they asked me to do it. And, um, I, I'll tell you, man, I, like I was in two different schools, two different high schools, um, through FCA, I was building relationships in the high school. One of the schools, I was a substitute teacher at one day a week, my day off. Um, which is, that's a fantastic opportunity as a youth pastor, because you have like 45 kids for 90 minutes and they can't leave. And you can talk about Jesus all you want because you have a full-time job. <laughs> so 
yeah, all they can do is fire me. Um, and you know, technically that's religious discrimination. So anyway, um, that's, that's besides the point, but I mean, I did everything they asked. I, I really feel like I did everything that they asked. And, and, and then at one point, um, I did some number crunching and I realized that the, the ups and downs and even the decline in the attendance in the youth group tracked almost verbatim, I guess verbatim is not the right word, but it tracked almost exactly with the Sunday school adult attendance. So when the adults weren't there, the teens weren't there. When the adults were there, the teens were there. And so part of me, and again, Ryan, this could be just youthful ignorance on my part, because again, this is my first full-time ministry job. But part of me wanted to sit down with the senior pastor and the personnel team, because he was de facto on it. Um, Part of me wanted to be like, look, you know, you want me to grow the youth group. You guys aren't growing the church. The church is dying. Like the numbers are declining across the board in the church in general. And you're expecting me to grow the youth group. And eventually they actually vocalized, we want you to double the size of the youth group in three months. And they said that in like May or June. And I was like, all right, so a dying church just asked me to double the size of their youth group over the summer months. And you know this, summer is when Christians disappear from church. They go to vacation. They just... Oh man, I was out mowing my lawn too late last night, so I was tired. I slept in in the morning. Or my favorite team is playing their thing, or whatever. Um, went on vacation, and I actually, um, I talked with some of my students this thing. I was like, "There's like nobody here. What's going on?" And they said, "They're all on vacation." And I was like, "Dude, they're not all on vacation. <laughs> There's a lot of kids missing on Sunday, and I knew some of them were not on vacation." Um, so you know, I knew when they gave me that kind of final, they basically said double the youth group by this date, by the next time we meet. And if that doesn't happen, then we're going to recommend your termination at the next business meeting, which would have been like two or three months after that. So in, in all, uh, uh, not fairness, but basically I had six months to save my job. And so I updated my resume and I gave it to a few people that I trusted. I think you were one of them. And, um, I, I just, I mean, I put my nose to the grindstone, man. I was, I was calling kids. I was, I wasn't doing visitation because that's like purgatory for youth pastors. All right. Students don't know how to answer the door when you're standing there, but if their parents are not home, it's even worse because then they just look at you. (laughs) They don't invite you in. They don't tell you their parents aren't home. They just stand there. And that's that's an old school 1990s or 2000s thing that doesn't yeah it works in and some I, and context, sure there's, not, not all yeah there's some context i'm sure i'm sure it still works in but uh i mean with the advent of texting and some of these other social media apps um for some kids shoot them a quick text that does mounds more than a visit would a visit would probably scare them at this point for some of these kids um but anyway i i did what they asked and and i poured my heart into it um, but in the background at home, through a lot of conversations, a lot of prayer, and a lot of tears in my house, my wife and I prepared to leave. Um, I should have listened to her, dude. She was she was telling me a year before I finally relented that we needed to go. And And listen, this goes back to that first question you asked me. I was trying to be idealistic. I was like, no, longevity, longevity in ministry. It's It's got to be done. Longevity in ministry. Got to stay at the same church for my whole life. And then finally, I realized, you know what? I may be called to youth ministry by the Lord, but if I stay here longer than I'm called to be here, then I'm now doing more damage to the kingdom than good. 
So I've got to leave. So, uh, and even if it's them pushing me out the door. Um, so I started putting my feelers out. I started sending out resumes. Uh, I got past the first level at one church down in North Carolina and then never heard from them again. Um, I think it was because of the way I answered the question about alcohol. Because they said, is it forbidden in scripture? And I was like, no, but you probably shouldn't drink it anyway. It's a bad example. <laughs> um, and I don't. I guess they didn't like that. Um, but uh, I, I gave my resume to the youth pastor at the church that you and I were serving at when we were in college. And then he gave it to his brother, who's a word of life missionary in the, the eastern half of Virginia. And his brother gave it to the pastor of my current church. and. A few weeks went by and, and I poked the bear and I said, Hey man, have you heard from him? And he said, not yet. I'll, I'll poke the bear. So he goes off and he pokes the bear and I get a email or a phone call from this senior pastor. He said, Hey, um, you know, we've been whittling things down. I got your resume from this guy and I'd like to, to meet if you'd like. And it's about between where I lived and this current church at the time was a three and a half hour drive. So we agreed to meet in Lynchburg. And so we met at an Olive Garden on Awards Road in Lynchburg behind Liberty University. And we sat there for like three to four hours. We had a good meal and we talked. And this was the conversation I told you about that was straight up just total honesty from both sides. He told me about all the junk they'd been dealing with and all the great stuff. I told him about all the junk I was dealing with and all the great stuff. And it was the most honest and refreshing conversation I'd ever had with a potential church before. Um, uh, it was great. And, and so I felt like the Lord was starting to move. And um, as I, as I look back on it now, like there was a lot of stuff that went wrong at this previous church and some of it was them and some of it was me. Um, I screwed up a lot, but again, this is why I go back to that whole, you're going to have a first church idea. Like I was new. There was stuff I could have taken 10, 15, 20 years of undergraduate and seminary classes on how to do youth ministry, how to do ministry, how to do administrative work, how to build relationships, how to counsel, how to do camp, how to do all these things. None of it can prepare you for field work. You've got to get men under your... And I thought that working as a youth leader was going to do that. But what I missed, Ryan, was the fact that when you're a youth leader, the buck doesn't stop with you. It stops with the youth pastor. And until you're in that guy's shoes, you're never going to know the full weight of the ministry that you're responsible for. It's not yours. It's the Lord's. But still, you're the steward, and you have to steward well. And when you're not the chief steward of that ministry, you can pass the buck. And so there's stuff you miss out on. That's why I've told people, I don't ever want to be a senior pastor. <laughs> yeah, I, I have think I'm no, cut out for that. <laughs> no desire unless God miraculously changes my calling. Oh, yeah. I refuse to be a senior lead pastor of a church. Now, I will not refuse. disobey him willingly. Like, I, my mom told me when she surrendered to become a missionary, she said, Lord, I'll go anywhere but Africa. Don't send me to Africa. So my parents spent the 80s in Kenya. And so when she told me that, um, I said, okay, I'm never going to tell the Lord where I'm not going to go. I'm going to ask him politely. <laughs> But I'm never going to tell him no, because I mean, he's, you can't do like reverse psychology on the Lord. Okay. But, um, I mean, he knows what you're equipped to do and he knows that he will equip you should he need to for another circumstance. But 
Um, I don't think I'm equipped to be the chief under shepherd of the church. I I think I'm much better equipped as a second chair leader, and I'm fine with that. I'm okay with with being. Uh, I've I've told people this before. I kind of see my role. Um, yes, I'm the youth pastor, so I'm primarily responsible for the, the youth ministry of our church. But um, if you remember in Old Testament, um, Joshua was battling one of the pagan nations. I can't remember what, who it was, but um, Moses was up on this mountainside, and every time he raised his arms in the air, Joshua started winning. And then it, when his arms got tired, Moses would drop them, and Joshua would start losing. And so Aaron and her come up next to Moses. I think Moses sits down on a rock or something. And then Aaron and her basically get under Moses's arms and just prop him up and keep his arms in the air. And then Joshua ends up trouncing the enemy. Um, And it was one of those visual reminders to the people of Israel. The Lord is the one who's fighting these battles for you. Okay. And so I kind of see myself as a youth pastor in the second chair as Aaron or, well, not Aaron, but her. Um, I'm there to help support the chief under shepherd of the church. And um, it might not be the best analogy in the world, but I, I think I can do more good for the kingdom supporting a senior pastor than being the senior pastor. And that's, that's perfectly fine with me. Um, but I have to realize that there's still a lot to learn, even in the position I'm in. It's not like um, I'm just the youth pastor, so I don't have to keep learning anymore. I'm, I've arrived. I've had to tell my students, if you think you've, ever, if you ever get to a point in your life where you think you've arrived, you're at the wrong destination. <laughs> well, also, just even as a leader, that's one thing we I've talked um, a little bit about in a previous uh, one of our previous episodes. But mm-hmm. if if you're going to be a, a leader, you got to constantly be a learner. You got to mm-hmm. constantly learn, constantly study, and not just and be and be a well-rounded. Just don't. It, you need to learn uh, different subjects, areas, and about, specifically when it comes to scripture and knowing God's word, you'd never, if you think you, like exactly what you said, you think you've arrived, mm. you got a problem. Yeah. Because uh, you don't, you don't arrive uh, per se until you die. <laughs> it's called sanctification. Yeah. yeah. It's exactly, um, you're not going to arrive until you so, show up and Jesus is staring you in the face and you're gawking at him. <laughs> Exactly. And of course, we try, of course, we're called to try, strive to be yeah. like Christ. But again, that takes a lifetime. You're never, you're never going to, to uh, in this lifetime, arrive to that point. Um, what, what, um, I just kind of want to throw out there. I, I, I want to talk about just, just a second. I don't want to kind of mm-hmm. talk about it too long because I don't want to spend right. most of the time talking about it. Is, is, uh, is, Talking about numbers, mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to throw throw this in a little bit, especially when you were talking yeah. about that. And for those who are listening, to, uh, sometimes and and you're exactly right. You made a good point about how it, it you if a church is if you're in a church, God forbid, if you're in a church that that is dying spiritually, uh, dying numerically. Um, that is going to filter in to every single ministry, including a student ministry. And I, I've heard this from many from, from you, and I've heard it from many other people, uh, friend, good friends of mine who've, who've been in ministry and, and didn't have a good experience in the first church that they were located at, and kind of similar experiences that you went through where the, the a personnel team or a senior pastor or, or whoever, some kind of committee 
uh, looking at them and say, hey, you need to grow your numbers. You need to grow your numbers. You have to get to this point to have this many students at this certain time. Uh, but the, during the yeah. time of them saying this, their church is dying. And, and when, I, when I hear this, when I, when I was hearing it from you for the first time and when I was hearing from uh, other friends who were, who were in ministry as well, it, I just want to pull my hair out and, and say, <laughs> yeah. well, the hair I have left, I should say. Um, but I want to pull my hair out. Say, How in the world are you supposed to grow a student ministry when a church is dying? Now, it's possible. Like if you're, if you're like a large uh, city area, you can do that and make that happen. Uh, but if you're in a context like where you're at, uh, where I'm at, or where, where you were at the time at least, where it's a little bit of a smaller community, uh, small small town, it's it's kind of hard. It's a little bit more difficult to grow a a student ministry numerically yeah. when uh, the church is dying numerically because uh, because it, it, it flows and it coincides with each other and again and I probably would, would talk about this at, at a, in a little more detail on another podcast because this is something that's uh, it's it's a little bit more of a, a kind of an irritant yeah. okay uh, I guess that's a word if I actually said that correctly but it ir- irritates me okay so when I hear that because I'm saying I mean, it's like dude focused on reaching people in your community. Reaching, reaching me for Christ. Focus on that first, and actually being the church, and that, and that, and once you get that correctly, and and, and sharing the gospel, discipleship, correct that first. That will seep in into the student ministry, and the student ministry will grow as a reflection of the growth that's going on in the congregation as a whole. Yeah, that's themselves something. I mean, unless you've got some weird thing going on in your community or the spirit's really moving in the youth ministry, it's going to track with the greater population of the church. And the thing that is very frustrating, or one of the things that's very frustrating about this whole numbers conversation is that um, I think we tend in the church, and it might have happened throughout history too, but I think we tend to swing to the two extremes of the pendulum. One extreme being it's all about the numbers, and the other extreme being never worry about the numbers, and there's absolutely no metrics at all. And we have to understand, like my, my brother-in-law is a senior pastor down in Tampa, Florida, and he's told me, he said, there's two things you have to learn about uh, being in church leadership, and they're very frustrating. And I said, what are they? And he said, the two things are, you cannot run a church like a business. And the second thing is, you have to run a church like a business. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, look, it's a ministry, but it has components of it that are like the business world. And so you have to figure out how to balance those two things. Because look, if you don't have numbers, then there's no one there to serve. If you don't have numbers, then there's no one there to reach the community. But how you measure those numbers, what numbers you're looking at, and how much emphasis you put on it is kind of where all of this comes to a head. And the problem that I dealt with at this first church was that it was an old congregation. And I don't mean like a hundred year old church. I mean, like it was a cotton field. Like there's a lot of white hair in the congregation. <laughs> and when I tell you, a lot of great yeah. And, and a lot of these people were just amazing people. Like one of the things that my mentor told me to do, and I know this is a little off topic, but I think it's important. Um, one of the things my mentor told me to do is as, as the youth pastor, you need to build a relationship with your seniors in your church, the senior saints. 
because they can be some of your biggest supporters. But more than your biggest supporters, these are the ones who have gone before. They are the ones that for some churches, they literally built the church. Like they, some of them were charter members. We still had charter members in our church. We still had children of charter members in our church. And some of them were some of the most godly, praying, amazing old people. But when I tell you, Ryan, that our church was dying, I sometimes mean literally people were dropping like flies. Uh, While I was there, the senior pastor had been there for 26 years. And during my time there, one summer, he set a record. He had five funerals in one week. That had never happened to him before. People in our church were literally dying. And when it comes to this whole numbers thing, some of these people are some of the biggest givers. Some of the, and, and, and I am talking tithe, all right? But these people were not just the big givers. They were the big supporters. They were the godly influence. They were the senior saints you want. They were the ones who prayed. They were the ones who showed up. They were the ones who supported the senior pastor. They were the ones who were doing the work to leave the legacy that you want to leave for the church. And when all of those people were passing away, there was starting to be, there was this like gulf of spiritual leadership and maturity within the church that was opening up and it was not being filled by the boomers. It was not being filled by the Gen Xers. And my wife and I, and like maybe three other couples were the only millennials there. So um, from the, the generation gap was weird and like half the church was related to each other. And it's just, I mean, there was a bunch of bizarre stuff. Um, I would have Sundays or Wednesdays where I'd have two kids come to youth group. And then there was other weeks I'd have like 15 to 20 and, and, and it, it, it tracked with where their parents were. And the weirdest thing, and the pastor told me this, and it was true. The weirdest thing was during college football season. If Virginia tech lost, if, if Virginia tech lost, there was a drop in attendance the next day. It was so weird. I was like, Why? And he said, because they're ashamed to show their face in public. I was like, it's a football game. This is church. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> I, can't say I, have, I, can't, I can't say I haven't heard that before. Yeah, one, one thing that uh, you're kind of hitting on too, which is which, and I, I know I was joking around a little bit about uh, uh, congregation of grayheads, but if you're if you're if you're if a church is not multi generational, um, there's a problem. Uh, there's a problem in your church. Uh, if you're not reaching young families, if you're if, if you're, there's there's just a problem. And for part of that problem, um, I truly believe, and this is my own perspective, is that you're not you're not willing to change because ministry how you do ministry changes. It changes because culture changes, but the gospel itself never changes. But how you present the gospel does change uh, based on the culture. Uh, so, you, so, and I think part of the reason why uh, the church is getting this in this rut, especially I, again, I, we were both we were both in the South. Uh, both of us would consider us in the, the buckle of this uh of the uh, bible belt uncle of bible belt oh yeah uh, so both of us would probably claim that where we have hundreds of churches around our area um but in in our context as well you you, you just at least mine 
uh, my area, even even back home, the, the community I grew up in is part of this way as well. You have a lot of churches just not willing to change. You're, they're doing stuff that, that ministry-wise, which was done 20, 30, sometimes even 40 years ago, and not willing to to change and be innovative, forward thinking, especially youth ministry. Youth ministry is, is the number one thing where you have, you have you have to evaluate every five years. Um, oh, it's probably faster than that now, man. And, well, now, now, yeah, now I uh, forget what research I was looking at uh, for, uh, probably about a year ago. But they're they're actually showing now it's going to be harder than ever to really know when the next generation is because of. of technology and social media, it's going to be harder for them to track ever before, but you've got to be willing to change and you got, and, and you got to look every so often, what do I need to change? What needs to be improved on? What do I need to do to change to reach this next generation? So in, in, in youth ministry world, that happens a whole lot more often. So most youth, the average youth pastor, I would say kind of understands this a little bit more, uh, but from a senior leadership uh Sometimes it, I don't, in a lot of smaller churches, uh, I would say it's not understood. Yeah, well, and one of the things that I, I think is important for people to understand, and, and I, this is one of those things, right, that people don't talk about this. Like what you've just, what you've just covered, the concept that you're kind of going for here, this isn't something that's like a feel good seminar we go to to talk about and then rah, rah, re, kick them in the knee, let's go do this. Like this is, we're pulling this straight out of scripture. This is not a good idea. This is not like the next best thing. This is Paul writing to Timothy saying, you need to instruct the older men. This is what they should be doing with the younger men, the older women. This is what they should be doing with the younger women, the young men. This is how they should act and behave. The younger women, this is how they should act and behave. This is the stuff Paul is directly commanding Timothy to teach his congregation. He's, he's basically telling them, look, like of all the things that you want your people to focus on, you need to have them focus on investing in the next generation because that's how this message of hope to the world is going to continue spreading. And what we tend to do is we get bogged down in all of the nitty gritty and we can't see the forest for the trees. Like we've got to keep, like I tell the students this all the time, we'll be going through a passage of scripture. And then at some point I say, look, let's take the 3000 foot view. What's the whole point? What's the overarching principle? And it always ends up on back on Christ at some point um, because it's all about him anyway. But we have to remember like the activities we choose to engage in, the metrics we choose, the way we choose to analyze those metrics, the different ministries we put um, our emphasis on, all the different pies we put our finger in, it all has to go back to the gospel work. Our church right now, we use Word of Life um, as our discipleship program. and they always, they constantly harp on the fact that, and you mentioned this earlier, our message never changes. Our method has to, because people have to be able to communicate in a way that the culture is going to understand us, not to communicate to the culture in a way that they can understand what we're saying and why we're saying it's so important. And if we can't do that, then they're just going to tune us out. No, I absolutely agree, ma'am. Well, as, as we're kind of wrapping up um, a little bit, I, I, I want to ask you one last question, a uh, question I ask everybody, but I feel like in this context, this conversation, 
I think this would be really good uh, to ask you is, is what is one piece of advice that you would give youth leaders in their ministries? Uh, actually, this is the easiest question for me to answer. Um, and it's the same advice that my dad gave me when I graduated from high school. Um, he gave me two pieces of two pieces of advice. The first one was find a local church and get plugged in. So if you're a youth leader, you really need that piece of advice because you obviously already are. Um, but the second piece of advice, it's two words. Stay teachable. You have to stay teachable. You have to be receptive to the input of others. Be receptive to the input of the word of God. You have to be receptive to the wisdom of the godly men in your life. You have to be receptive to the input of your spouse. You have to be receptive to your children. Dude, I use my kids as examples in my lessons all the time. But Sometimes I'm the one that's the lesson because my kid has said something to me or done something and it has caused me to stop and go, holy cow, I'm the one that's wrong right now. And I've got to learn. You know how humbling it is to learn from your six-year-old? And I've got six kids now. So um, I've got a lot of people that can teach me stuff. <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing how you think you're all that in a bag of chips and then your child will say or do something and it re it brings you right back to reality. It bring, it brings you right back to how fragile you are, to how dumb you are, to how sinful you can be. One thing that we don't really talk about a lot in church is how Paul progressed in his thought about who he was. Like we think of Paul as the uber Christian. He started out being the least of the apostles. Um, that's how he described himself. And then by the end of his ministry and his life on earth, he was the chief of sinners. I mean, that's quite the perspective shift. Uh, I mean, I mean, he used to think he was all awesome because he was a Pharisee and he loved the Lord. And he was super zealous for the Lord. But once God humbled him, he realized just how much he needed the Lord. And so the one piece of advice I, I give every teenager, I give every, every uh, graduate recognition Sunday we do, I tell him, stay teachable. You've got to keep learning. You've got to be receptive to the input of others. If you refuse, you won't succeed in life. And you know, success based, the definition of success in the Christian world is a life lived in obedience to Christ. So um, if you're not willing to stay teachable, you're not going to live a life of obedience to Christ. And by the time you get to the end of your life, you're either going to lose or you're going to be in a state of total regret because you've wasted all of your time because you refuse to stay teachable and submit your life to the Lord. So stay teachable. As we talk about going through hardship in church, don't allow it to make you bitter. Um, you've got to make sure that you center yourself on your love of the Lord and your love of his church. No church is perfect. People are going to make you angry. People are going to hurt you. You can't let it make you bitter towards the church. Um, it's not worth the energy and it's not worth the time. You can't stay bitter. It'll hurt. Yeah. Go get counseling. I'm, I just started going to counseling. So it's okay, but don't get bitter. All right, man. I just want to, again, I just want to thank you for coming to the podcast and just kind of sharing your heart with us. Yeah, man. I love it. And I love talking to you. Anytime you want to talk, just let me know. All right, man. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a good night. Well, guys, there's several things I got out of, of talking to David. And the first thing is this, interview well. 
when a church is interviewing you, um, understand that you also need to be interviewing the church. So ask good questions. Also, stay humble and stay teachable. And lastly, don't be better. If you're going through a situation where you've been hurt, don't be better. Understand that God's in control and you're not. And well, guys, we, we all have been hurt in some way while doing ministry. Doing ministry is hard, difficult, and messy because you're dealing with imperfect people. You're dealing with people who are in their sin. And also, you're dealing with yourself because you're not perfect and you have your own sinful struggles that you're dealing with. So guys, I want to encourage you, if, you, uh, if you're going through the situations and you're, you're in a hurt, uh, hurtful situation within a church or dealing with hardships and you would like someone to talk to, Dave is more than will, willing uh, to get connected with you. So you can contact him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can DM uh, him directly. And I'll put all the information in the show notes for you. He'll be more, will, uh, more than willing to talk with you and to minister to you. Uh, well, guys, uh, next week we're going to be taking a little bit of break. Uh, we won't, there won't be an ex- episode next week. Things in ministry is busy here for me because I'm also a full-time pastor along with doing the podcast, the Youth and Culture podcast. So taking a break next week, but pick up for the following week. So ne- stay tuned for the next episode.